in the tiki 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 room in the tiki 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 room all the birds sing words and the flowers croon in the tiki 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 room welcome to our tropical hideaway you lucky people you if we weren't in the show starting right away we'd be the audience too all together in the tiki 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 room in the tiki 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 room all the birds sing words and the flowers croon in the tiki 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 room well hello everyone out there in podcast land this is the front row movie reviews the podcast for people who actually like movies and we are here to do the third episode of our new series, Beyond the Mouse. Uh, everything about Disney movies, Disney animated films, Pixar movies, and uh, also all the Disney live action films that we are uh, becoming just huge right now. So, I am your host, Craig McFarland, and I'm joined by the lovely and talented Anna McFarland. Hi! So, we uh, this is like a road trip edition. So, Kevin and I uh, did a Comic-Con episode going up to Chicago. Anna and I are actually on our way out to Alexandria, Virginia. Um, we are driving through Zanesville, Ohio, going through the mountains. Anna might get sick during this uh, podcast. <laughs> Only because of the mountains, hopefully. <laughs> Only because of the mountains. So uh, what we're going to do today is talk a little bit about what's going on in the parks right now. Uh, and then we're also going to speak about a live action film that we loved uh, it's starring Tom Hanks and Emma Thompson, Saving Mr. Banks. And then we'll wrap up with a brief discussion about the 25th anniversary of one of our most beloved animated Disney classics, Beauty and the Beast. So before we get to Beauty and the Beast and Saving Mr. Banks, generally this is the time of the episode that we would do some news. But this month, there really hasn't been a ton of Disney movie news. Um, we've heard a little bit about Beauty and the Beast that comes out in uh, March of 2017. We uh, did get a new trailer for Moana, but we just talked about that last month. So, you know, I, I'm really excited for that movie. I think that it's going to be great. The trailer did give us a little bit more of a glimpse into the story and what it's going to revolve around. Um, but I didn't want to spend a whole other segment talking about that movie because I know we will be discussing it in length. Uh, apparent, uh, also, definitely in the December episode, because by then we would have all seen it right around Thanksgiving time. So instead of doing all that, I want to take you into the parks this, uh, this episode and try to convince you why this is the absolute best time of year to visit Walt Disney World. Now, I know you're saying to yourself, but Craig, this is a, a movie review podcast, and I totally get that. But... This is my Disney show, and I like to talk about Disney things. Um, and Anna and I, we have gone to the parks uh, the last two years at this time of year to Walt Disney World in Orlando, and it's a particularly great time to go, and we're going to talk about some of the events that go on in this time of year, uh, going into the fall, and why you should be booking your vacation for next year right now. So the first event we want to hit on uh, is the Epcot Food and Wine Festival. Anna, can you tell us about that, what the event is, um, and kind of your reasons for like why you like that event? Yeah, Epcot Food and Wine is really fun because, so Epcot has the standard countries that they always have, uh, but during Food and Wine they have additional countries, 
So it's neat. They're always adding different countries, it seems like, every year. I'm not sure how frequently they do, but um, they'll add in some awesome countries. And so you can walk around and do different samplings of food from each country. Yeah. Um, they give you smaller portions, so that way you have the ability to try more things. But it's just really fun to go around and try different stuff in food and wine. It does get really crowded there at Epcot during food and wine. Um, but we've had pretty good luck when we've gone that it hasn't been too crazy. Yeah, I mean, a lot of that's the locals coming in. I mean, think about this as, like, their Taste of Downtown event. You know, it's except for it's on a much more massive scale. So there's generally 11 countries in uh -huh. World Showcase. Can we name all 11? What do you think? Maybe. All right. Okay, so there's Mexico. Should we, should we go try to go in order? I don't know if I can go in order. I don't know try. if I can either. But so it's Mexico to Norway. Yeah. Norway to... All right, going in order is not going to work, but it's... <laughs> Norway, and then there's Italy and Germany and Canada. Japan. Japan and China. America. America. Morocco. Morocco, France. France. Uh, England. You say United, United Kingdom? United Kingdom, yeah. yeah. That's 11. Uh, Which one are we missing? No, that's 11? Yeah. Oh, well, there you go. Oh, that's okay, it. cool. Well, that wasn't so hard. So, in addition to those countries, you can get things like food from Brazil or... Uh, they've got these little booths set up uh, where you can just get different, not only uh, food items, but also if there's like a mixed drink or a beer or wine or alcoholic beverage or non-alcoholic beverage that's specific to that area, they'll also have that. Um, one of my favorite booths last year was actually the Florida, mm -hmm. the kind of the farm the fresh, farm fresh, yeah, fresh really booth. Good. It was fantastic. And they brought in uh, local foods from the Orlando area in Central Florida and just it was fantastic and the, the food is stellar the one complaint I think I would have is that it does draw the crowds to Epcot particularly at night um, you know a lot of the people in the Orlando area they have annual passes to the parks uh, and they're able to go all the time and so uh, that really draws them out and they, they like to come into the area at that time but is there a particular food that you remember that you liked a lot? Yeah, I agree. Farm Fresh was outstanding. It was delicious. That's the Florida one. Um, also, I really like it because they have unique beers, and they're smaller portions. And we'll talk about I'll talk about that in a second. But because the beer is smaller, I'm able to sample more. So I really liked that one there as well in Florida. Um, I don't know. That's probably what stands out to me. I was a little disappointed when I tried sushi in Japan. I kind of thought it would be amazing, and it really wasn't. But um, I mean, what, whatever I tried was pretty good. I didn't really get a chance to try much last year. Yeah. you know, pregnant. Because, well, <laughs> you know, pregnant. I, actually, I was going to mention the beer sizes as being maybe a complaint. <laughs> well, not, that's just it. They're that, not big enough. I mean, it's good for me, obviously. Not last year. That I'm talking about two years ago. Um, but a lot of the portions tend to be a lot smaller. So, like, the cost does add up quickly because you're... You have to pay more to get more food, basically. But it's nice for a sampling. It's like probably like any other taste type thing you've been to as far as that goes. Right. You're not going to get full necessarily, and it's not going to be an event where you can um, come out of there eating a cheap meal by any means. Right. But it does allow you to, to try things from Brazil, and then you walk over to Scotland, and then you can taste something from uh, Africa. I mean, like, they've got everything covered there, which and, is, it's pretty cool. Yeah, and they have, like, some of the staples, like, they have waffles in Belgium, and 
chocolate in Belgium, and then different um, different countries. What they're known for is tend to what they have. So we love Epcot. I would almost say. I mean, it's hard to to say out of the four uh, parks, you know, which one is my favorite. But I, I would say on any given day it's probably different but right now I, I'm really into Epcot and the whole concept of like a, a world's fair that that's ongoing and, and the food and wine festival just does more to bring in additional countries uh, additional cultures and to be able to try some of the food uh, even if it is a little bit and it is a little overpriced um, you still get to get a, a decent sized sampling of different foods from around the world. Uh, this is the 21st year of the Epcot Food and Wine Festival. It does go on for most of the fall. Uh, it starts, actually started last week, and it'll be going until right up to about Thanksgiving time. So it is something that you can uh, check out and definitely head on over to Epcot. Anything else that you want to mention about food and wine? It's just really fun. It's like Epcot World Showcase, but bigger and better. That's why I like it. It, it all makes sense as to why it's there, and I could—I mean, I could love it if they would just do it all the time. There's that'd be fabulous. Yeah, just past the sign for falling rocks, by the way. <laughs> Not something you deal with in Illinois. <laughs> uh, so we're getting into Eastern Ohio here, and uh, apparently there's some mountains coming up. Um, but yeah, and the cool part about Disney in the fall is that traditionally it is a time of year that is uh, not as highly attended uh, and also it's starting to get a little less hot. Uh, now that might not be true this year. They're actually talking about the fact that August was the hottest on record uh, in the Orlando area. So, and we know just in our area it's still in the 90s and you know whether that be through climate change, whatever the case may be, but it is a hot year for everything, but still, going in the fall is going to get you less crowds and then also uh, the ability to have some cooler weather. Uh, Epcot might be a little crowded at night, so I'd suggest maybe hitting up food and wine for your lunch during the day. And then, of course, you still got to go see Illuminations at night, the, the nighttime show in Epcot. But you and can eat go to the beat. and eat to the beat. I forgot to eat, yeah, to, the beat. eat to the beat. What's eat to the beat? So eat to the beat, they have different um, bands that play at the America Pavilion, and uh, for example, I believe it was last year, am I right? Or was it two years ago now? Uh, that they had Hanson. Hanson's been there both years. Oh man. And we've missed them both times. Uh, last year they were on, like we got there on Sunday night, and we went to the other event that we're gonna talk about here in a little bit, um, instead of going to Eat to the Beat, or yeah. else we would have seen Hanson. And they also have like, Rain. is it Rain Wilson, is that her first name? Um, I, uh, I don't know. Rain, anyway. Rain Wilson is uh, Dwight Schrute in the office, so <laughs> okay. I don't, I don't think that that's. I don't uh, think that was it. But anyway, each of the beat is just kind of fun. Yeah, and uh, actually, the both the years that we were there, we were there the same time as Air Supply, which you know, not not as cool for me. No. I'm gonna just gonna put that out there. But each of the beat is cool. Um, and like they, this year, Sugar Ray, isn't it? Sugar Ray, Smash yeah. Mouth. Um, Toad the Wet Sprocket is going to be there, so definitely check out Eat to the Beat as part of the Epcot Food and Wine. But now, let's take the monorail over to nice. Magic Kingdom and talk about probably my favorite event. Uh, one of the my favorite things I've done while at Disney World 
It does cost a little bit extra. We'll talk about why it does here in a minute. But let's talk about Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party. Yay! This is like the only time that adults really get to wear costumes in Walt Disney World, and you don't get yelled at. There are certain things that you still can't do. You can't have uh, something that appears to be a weapon or is actually a weapon. That just makes sense. Um, then you also can't pose for pictures and sign autographs because they want to leave that to the um, cast members and the, the magic of the Disney princesses and things like that. So You can't wear masks, I believe. Yeah, you also can't wear yeah. masks. But this is a separate ticketed event that happens several times throughout September and October. Halloween season actually started September 2nd this year uh, for Disney because they know it's such a popular event. And you get to do things like go around and see some of the characters that you can get your picture with that maybe during the normal year you wouldn't be able to see, like uh, Sally and Jack Skellington. Um, you can also do things like uh, the best parade that Walt Disney has to offer, the Buddha You Parade. And we'll talk about that in just a second. Um, they also have the Hallow Wishes fireworks. And uh, Hallow Wishes is a really, really, really cool uh, fireworks display that just illuminates the entire sky around the Magic Kingdom. For Hallow Wishes, too, they do the 360 fireworks, which exactly, are outstanding. Yeah. So what's I that believe mean? That, well, the only other time they do that during the year is for New Year's Eve. But um, the 360 basically means that all around the park, so um, literally in front of you, to the side of you, and behind you, they're shooting off fireworks, so it's an immense immersive experience with the fireworks it's beautiful it's so much fun yes it is it, it's just stunning i mean because you're just standing anywhere and you're just seeing fireworks all around you it's really cool um the booty you parade by far the coolest parade they do in disney uh, i'm not big into parades when i'm in the parks because i'd rather be riding rides or just not standing in a bunch of people um but the booty you parade is something to check out because you get to see these uh, are they undertakers or are they what yeah. are they called? Grave diggers. Grave diggers. Yeah. And so that's why ahead. I like Booty You Parade a lot because the Haunted Mansion is one, probably my favorite ride, I would say. It's hard to say, but um, but they have a lot of focus on the Haunted Mansion, of course, for the Booty You Parade. So they have the Grave Diggers, which um, are choreographed dancers that use shovels, and as they use the shovel, it will put sparks on the pavement. It's just really, really neat and creative. Um, of course, they also have like the ballroom dancers from the Haunted Mansion. It's just a really well done parade, I think. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. It's a lot of fun. They do it twice in the night, and uh, it's it's just a really good time. Also, at the Mickey's Not So Scary Halloween Party, you can uh, get you can go trick or treating, and they give you lots and lots and lots of candy. You go to different candy stops throughout the Magic Kingdom, some in each of the different lands, and you're able to uh, get lots of different uh, Halloween candies and everything that you could possibly want. Yeah, I think it's really fun. Um, I like the I like the Mickey's Not So Scary because um, because it is a ticketed event. You'll have fewer people in the park. Do you know how many people that they allow to have tickets? You know, I don't think that they ever say the number. It does sometimes sell out. Um, sure. I would imagine that that number is probably somewhere around twenty to 30,000. 
I think that on really busy days, very, very busy days, um, you can get as many as like 50,000 in the park. And mm -hmm. so it is still, I think, less than that, but I'm not 100% not sure. But we do have a tip about that, and that yeah. is if you are going down to the Orlando area, staying in the, the parks, what we did um, is that instead of getting a day pass for the day we were doing Mickey's Not-So-Scary Halloween Party, we just stayed at the resort that day until 4 o'clock. So the event itself goes from 7 to midnight, but if you go at uh, 4 o'clock, they will let you in just with that ticket. So mm -hmm. you don't need an actual park pass that day. So really, you can spend eight hours in the Magic Kingdom. Right. Well, and once 7 o'clock hits, they do check wristbands. So anybody who's in the park that does not have a wristband will be kindly asked to leave. Um, so that way, I mean, you'll, you can pretty much get done whatever you want to with the other crowds still there. And then what we like to do is once it starts not so scary, like say during the first Boo to You parade, we will go on rides while everybody else is watching the parade. And then it's substantially less people on the rides. Um, then we'll catch the second parade later. Yeah, uh, because a lot of the kids will go. And I know you just oh, thought about Oh, we didn't talk about my I favorite know. thing yet. I was waiting. I was okay, waiting. Sorry. I was waiting. Um, we'll talk about that last. But the rides. So if you're interested, for instance, uh, we've gone the last couple years with Tim and Kara. And those guys, they just want to do many of the rides over and over and over again. Mickey's Not So Scary is the best time to do that because a lot of the people that will go will be your local residents that want to do things like get their pictures taken with special characters or go trick-or-treating or see the parades and the fireworks and so the they're not yeah. yeah and they're, they're not as focused on going on the rides because maybe they get to do that all the time so things like Space Mountain you can just almost stay on you can go in and out of the turnstiles um, same with any of the other rides, Splash Mountain. Uh, the only ride that might have a little bit of a wait is the Seven Dwarfs Mine Train in Fantasyland, and that's because it's, a, it's the newest ride in the Magic Kingdom. But everything else uh, is still all open. People that know the park know that Peter Pan's flight is generally at least an hour wait, even on the times where there's not as many people in the park. Uh, but Anna and I were able to do that ride with a very, I mean, we basically walked on. It was like a 10 on, minute wait right? or something. That's just as long as it took us to walk through the queue. Yeah, and so, so if you're looking to ride rides and you want a kind of a relaxing morning, Mickey's Not So Scary is a good way to do all that because then you're getting in the park at 4 o'clock, mm -hmm. you're able to, to go through uh, all of the rides you want, and you're not going to have the crowds that you do during a traditional day. And I think the theming is really neat too because they do a lot of work with lighting, uh, sound, special effects, um, the cadaver dance, which are really cool. It's the dapper dance, but they sing Halloween songs. It's just a really neat, fun party that I really enjoy. And um, they'll have like special treats and stuff at some of the stations. You can get pumpkin waffles or they, they just like every corner of Magic Kingdom seems to offer something special. And I think that's really neat and fun. And the cast members are so into it. Oh, yeah. You can tell that they just love it. Absolutely. So let's talk about the big new addition to Mickey's Not So Scary from last year. And uh, as all of you fans of the front row know, if you go back and listen to last October, we had a kind of what amounted to one of our first flashback episodes yeah. on Hocus Pocus. 
and how much Anna in particular, but then also Sarah, Jeremy, and I uh, love that movie. And so, Anna, what's the brand new show that they just introduced to Mickey's Not So Scary? It's the Hocus Pocus Spooktacular. Is that what they're calling it again this year? Yep. Yep. It was so much fun. Um, again, I, we did, we talked about this before in our Hocus Pocus podcast, but um, it was just outstanding. The characters were spot on. They were so good. And the singing and the acting was spot on. It was a wonderful show. I loved it. It's just so cool how they incorporate not only the Hocus Pocus sisters, but also all the different villains from all the different uh, properties that Disney has. You've got like Boogie Boogie there from Nightmare Before Christmas. Uh, you've got the Evil Queen from Snow White. You've got Maleficent. All, all of them are there. Jafar. Um, they, they incorporate every single one of those villains into the stage show. And they do that show actually three times a night, but I've been hearing that because of the massive appeal to that show, they've actually been adding a fourth show oh, wow. uh, to the beginning of the night. And that's one of those things, too, that a lot of the people with kids will leave mm -hmm. earlier in the night. So I'd recommend hanging out for the midnight show. Oh, absolutely. Um, it's the last thing you can do in the park. The party closes at midnight, so they'll kind of corral everyone, start to move them towards that hub area right in front of the castle, but that's where the show takes place, so less crowds, um, and it's a great way to end your night at uh, Mickey's Not So Scary, so definitely check that show out as well. You can see a lot of these shows on YouTube, mm -hmm. highly recommend it. Uh, you can find like 4K versions of the Hocus Pocus show, of Hallow Wishes, of the Cadaver Dance, um, just YouTube some of this stuff. I, you know, we've been watching um, one channel in particular called the Tim Tracker, and I'd highly suggest checking them out because they do a good job of giving you an overview of a bunch of different events, walking you through the Magic Kingdom, and showing you all that they have to offer. I would especially recommend it if you're thinking about taking a family, especially with younger ones, and you want to know how not so scary Mickey's not so scary is. Um, I know a lot of people have questions on that, so I think if you watch the YouTube clips, they'll give you a really good idea of what, what may be going on. Um, I found, at least in our experience, some people do find that the Headless Horseman is just a little bit scary, but, you know, that way, at least if you watch those clips of that, you'll know, but it truly is a not-so-scary, just fun Halloween party. Yes, and I, I would highly recommend going to this party, highly recommend going in the fall. In fact, why don't you just message us and we'll go with you and, uh, into September, early October. We love that time of year. I know it's hard for um, what, everyone with kids. Uh, we're going to be in that boat someday, too, where we can't go this time of year. But it is incredible. If you're able to check it out, uh, you can go to Magic Kingdom for that. You can go to Epcot for food and wine. And there's just so much to do, so little crowds, really. And you get all dressed up and wear a costume. Yeah. It's pretty fun. So what were you? Uh, last year I was Dorothy, and then the year before I was Mary Poppins. You were the cutest Mary Poppins. I was pretty cute Mary Poppins. There was like other Mary Poppins that were giving mm -hmm. Anna stink eye uh, throughout the Magic <laughs> well, Kingdom. Well, the, the best was, and this is when I thought Disney might get mad at me, because I was sitting on, uh, I think it was the monorail, and one of the kids goes, you know, just wide-eyed, and is, he says to his mom, is that Mary Poppins? And so then I thought, ooh. Disney, but because if you're too accurate, if you look yeah. too good uh, in your costume, they may ask you to alter it in some way. That's another exactly. thing as well. Exactly. Well, I, I understand that completely because they don't 
what you're drawing attention away from the actual princesses. So yeah, well anyway, I hope we've convinced you to check out Walt Disney World in the fall. And uh, we'll be right back to talk about saving Mr. Banks. This episode of the Front Row Movie Reviews is brought to you by Sarah B. Voice and Piano Studio. Owned and operated by the Front Row's very own Sarah baltus Fitzgeckner. This is the place that you want to be if you want your child to learn the great craft of singing or playing the piano. Sarah baltus Fitzgeckner is simply the best when it comes to teaching children the complicated art of music. She not only relates to them in an amazing way for music, but she also talks to them and makes them feel appreciated as a person first and makes them want to learn this craft so if you've got a child in the springfield illinois area that wants to learn music in either singing or piano sarah b voice and piano studio is the place to go you can find her online at www.sarahbstudio.com or you can find her on facebook by searching for sarah b voice and piano studio now it's on with the podcast you won't approve Dick Van Dyke. No. No. The Lentis house doesn't look like that. No, no, it's all wrong. It's all wrong. Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Stop. Mary Poppins is not for sale. I won't have her turned into one of your silly cartoons. Says the woman who sent a flying nanny with a talking umbrella to save the children. You think Mary Poppins has come to save the children? Oh, dear. Mr. Travers, what am I missing here? I'm wondering what I have to do to make you happy. You know, you've never been to Disneyland, and that's the happiest place on earth. No, 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 please. Well, when does anybody get to go to Disneyland with Walt Disney himself? There he is. Where did she come from? Mary Poppins and the Bankses. They're family to me. Mary Poppins was a real person? So it's not the children she comes to save. It's their father. It's your father. You don't know what she means to me. I won't disappoint you. I swear, every time a person walks into a movie house, they will rejoice. Don't you want to finish the story? The boys have come up with an idea. I think it's going to make you happy. You didn't bring me all the way here to tell me that. Oh, no. I had a wager. I couldn't get you on a ride. I just won 20 bucks. Yeah! So this movie absolutely love this movie and everything about it. Obviously, I'm a Disney fanboy, but I've been excited to talk about Saving Mr. Banks, particularly with you because of the circumstances that we first got to see the movie. Um, do you want to explain kind of what, what that was about? Yeah, well, it was after our first visit to Disney World together as a couple. Um, it was January of 2014. Yeah. Yeah, January 2014. Basically New Year's. Right. So right we, after New Year's. Right. So right after the movie had come out, uh, we were on our way back from Disney World, and there was a terrible snowstorm, and we were flying into St. Louis, and so we were not able to make that flight. They canceled it. Um, so we were stuck in Nashville, and Nashville also had ice and pretty much shut down the city, so we didn't have a whole lot of options, so we took the, um, the hotel... Uh, transportation over to the movie theater and we were able to see Saving Mr. Banks. It was great that we wanted to see that and we kind of made a lemonade out of lemons. Yeah, um, and the the movie itself really impressed us for uh, everything it was able to show about Walt Disney and what he was able to do about bringing the property of Mary Poppins to uh, the screen, especially because um, that property took so long for him to be able to secure the rights to. Uh, they didn't, um, 
P.L. Travers, the, the author of the Mary Poppins stories, did not necessarily want Disney to adapt this movie. And so um, what they were able to do with this story was tell you the background of how he was able to secure that property. Exactly. And Mary Poppins um, has always been such a neat movie. And so that's why I really wanted to see this film, was to see what the backstory was. You know, I've been thinking about this. I don't know that we've really done a Tom Hanks movie yet. I'm, mm. I'm sure that maybe we have. I just can't think of it. I know that Brandon just went to see Sully and would like to do a, 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 an episode on that. So hopefully that'll be coming soon. And then we're, ta- we're in the works with talking... Uh, with a couple of actual veterans about uh, doing a Saving Private Ryan podcast. So that will be coming up as well. But when I think about my favorite actors, Tom Hanks is the top of that list. And he does an excellent job of portraying Walt Disney in this movie. I, I didn't know that at the time because really that first trip to Disney World was when I that reignited my love and passion for this company and for what they produce and so I wasn't so familiar with Walt and the the wonderful worlds of color and those types of TV specials that he was doing all throughout the 60s 50s and 60s um, but going back and watching those now Tom Hanks is a great place to start with discussing this movie because he does such a wonderful job of bringing Walt to life yeah I agree absolutely and they even do things like they they show Walt smoking. One of the things that the, the Disney company tried to hide and Walt tried to hide uh, from all of his um, guests and, and people coming in for meetings is that he was a smoker. I mean, he ended up dying of lung cancer. And I think I've heard them say before that he hid that habit because he didn't, he wasn't fond of the fact that he had that habit and so he wanted to be... Uh, seen in a more positive light. He thought smoking was, you know, negative, which it is, and he knew then that that's not really what he wanted to be seen for. So that's kind of why he didn't appreciate being shown smoking. Mm-hmm. But even from the first moment that you see Tom Hanks, which really isn't uh, until a little bit into the film, um, when you see Walt uh, as P.L. Travers is coming into his office for the first time, mm-hmm. he just brightens up the screen. You can just see the enthusiasm and this the pure joy that this man must have brought to you think about his legacy and, and how his work has made countless millions billions of people happy and just to be able to capture that in the screen uh, was a credit to the way that Tom Hanks was able to portray the character mm-hmm, absolutely and he plays him really well too in that like I think he has a lot of Authority, which I believe Walt had. Um, he also has a kind heart, and you can see that through his acting. And he also has that childlike characteristic, which you see when he talks about um, the P.L. Travers books, which he sh- reveals throughout the film how much he loved them. And really, it was his daughters that loved them. Exactly. And his daughters loved reading the Mary Poppins books, and so he made a promise to his daughters that he would one day adapt this to the screen, and that is why, really, he followed um, followed up on this for close to two decades to try to bring Mary Poppins to the screen, uh, because, again, P.L. Travers did not want that to happen, 
Uh, and on the reverse of that, starting to talk a little bit more about Emma Thompson now mm -hmm. as P.L. Travers. At the beginning of the, the film, you see her in her London apartment or house, mm -hmm. or flat, sorry. Flat, yeah. And uh, you, you see her talking to her manager and agent, and they're saying that the money is starting to dry up and selling the rights for the film to Walt Disney would instantly help her financially. And she mentions that she's not concerned about that, that she doesn't need to have a nanny or a maid, and, and she could um, easily live without this property ever being adapted, particularly by Walt Disney, because she sees him as such a juvenile person, um, and that everything that he's done up to this point has just been turning all these serious fairy tales into kid stories, and she doesn't like how that's done. Exactly, and that's where, um, throughout the film we see this, but how they, um, the, the common thread between the two of them is that Walt mentions that he understands her not wanting to let go of her characters in Mary Poppins because that's how he feels about Mickey Mouse, is that he didn't want to let go of that either, and that's why he held on to that so tightly when at the very beginning other people were interested in that character. So um, he said that he very much understands where she's at and uh, that's kind of how they, they find that common thread. Yeah, um, and Emma Thompson plays her, I guess, oh I, you know, I don't know if you would, which one you'd call the protagonist and which one's <laughs> the antagonist. Um, definitely uh, it's more P.L. Travers antagonizing Walt Disney than the other way around. She's giving him such a hard time. But um, it's all because she has such a love for this character. And Emma Thompson shows that uh, in just all of her interactions. They're so, on the surface, they seem so cold. But the filmmakers do a brilliant job of, that allows you to be able to see a little bit into her childhood. Exactly. And it, like you said, it, it shows on the surface she seems cold and harsh and mean, but when we see those flashbacks, it tells you why she's saying that. I think which is a good life lesson in general. If somebody's being cold and hard and mean, think to yourself, well, why? Maybe there's something else going on or something else that happened as to why they're acting that way. And I think it is just because these characters are her family and she's protecting them as you would your family. If somebody's talking bad about them or um, wanting to, you know, do something with them, then that's how you'd react. Well, thanks for that moral. Yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. Um, throughout the movie, you do see her develop that uh, character and start to realize that Mary Poppins is bigger than her. Exactly. You know, obviously we know the end of the story is that Mary Poppins is made and goes on to massive success. You know, Julie Andrews, um, obviously, I, you know, I always forget. I think if Mary Poppins came first and then Sound of Music was right after it, I believe it could be I the other way around. I think it was the around. other way around. Was it? Yeah, okay. Sound of Music came out and then just right after that was Mary Poppins. Okay, okay. Because of, of how she played Maria, I believe. Okay. I always get that confused, too. Yeah, um, but, you know, obviously Dick Van Dyke, uh, the worst accent in all of movie history, but does such a fantastic job as Bert outside of the super goofy British accent. Um, you know, all of that happens, so we know that that's the end of the story, but there's so much more that goes into it in this movie. Um, and 
We'll talk about some of the scenes that we like here in a little bit, but I do want to touch on a couple more of the actors that I think just stand out in this film. It's a great ensemble cast, don't get me wrong. Um, you know, I can't, uh, off the top of my head, I, I don't have the names of the actors who played uh, Bob and Richard Sherman, uh, but they do a great job. In... Uh, Bob Sherman is B.J. Novak. Right, B.J. Novak from The Office. You got it, yeah. and Richard Sherman is Jason Schwartzman. Okay. Who is also great. Yeah, they both do a fantastic job. If you don't know the Sherman Brothers, such a unique and interesting uh, story. I would highly recommend that you go to Amazon and find a rental copy of the movie The Brothers. Yes. And it talks about the turmoil that Bob and Richard Sherman have. But these are the guys that really orchestrated your childhood. If you go back to listen to any song that you listened to as a child, more than likely it was written by Bob or Richard Sherman, you know, from It's a Small World to uh, also uh, The Jungle Book to Mary Poppins, all of those Disney classic movies, many of them were penned by Bob and Richard Sherman. So definitely go check out that movie. And they do a great job in this, so I don't want to discount from them. Also, Bradley Whitford does a fantastic job in this movie as well. But I do want to focus on two additional actors. Uh, the first being Paul Giamatti. Paul Giamatti oh plays the, he is the driver of P.L. Travers in this movie. And chauffeur. The yeah. chauffeur. Right. And he, it would be such a bit part, right? And such a throwaway part. But he brings a certain humanity. I would say. Right. It, it, it's, yeah. like a, it's like the polar opposite of Emma Thompson's P.L. Travers because he'll say, oh, what a bright and sunny day out here. Then she's just like, it smells like sunscreen. You know, and it just she has to try to cut him down on every turn, but he's always positive. And of course, later on in the movie, we find out why he's always positive and it mm -hmm. just breaks your heart. Um, so Paul Giamatti to me does a wonderful job with what could amount to more of a smaller part in this type of a movie. Exactly. I love him in this movie. It's so good. And it adds like a neat uh, dimension. It, it, his character I think is really the gateway to opening up P.L. Travers. Um, their friendship really helps her feel more comfortable and relaxed. And I, I just I love them. I love them together. And then I would say another one of my favorites that we have not talked about yet is Colin Farrell. That's that was I was oh kind of saving, saving him. him. Um, Colin Farrell in this movie delivers such an outstanding performance. It is an absolute shame that he was not nominated for Best Supporting Actor um, because he is incredible. And I, I'm not usually a Colin Farrell fan, but in this role. He has so much raw emotion and is able to uh, bring you along as this dad who essentially becomes the model somewhat for Mr. Banks. Mm -hmm. And he, in these flashback sequences, you see him not only fighting with alcoholism to uh, a very dreadful and destructive uh, part of his life, but... Mm -hmm showing just absolute pure love for his daughter you know and that comes across so well in his performance that i 
I think it, it's phenomenal. I mean, it's one of his best, if not the best performance that Colin Farrell's ever turned in. Exactly. Exactly. I love him. Um, and the way he interacts with his family and his flashback scenes. And he's just outstanding in this movie. I agree. So, talked a little bit about the actors. Are there particular scenes that you want to talk about that you really liked? Oh, gosh. There's a lot of scenes in this one, actually. Um, so, I love... I might get in trouble for saying this, but I love P.L.'s snippiness because it reminds me of my mother to a T. Like, <laughs> she probably doesn't listen to the podcast. Well, that's good because <laughs> it might not be seen as a compliment, but it is a compliment um, because she is so witty and smart and snippy. I love it. And I love it when she walks into the boardroom and she's, okay, getting ready to talk to uh, the team about making Mary Poppins. And she talks to uh, Dolly, the character, who is played by Melanie Paxton. And... Millie Paxton is just like this assistant who's all bubbly and happy and just super perky. And PL is just a straight face, not having any of it. And I love that scene. It's just so funny. Um, but I love how honest those scenes are. And um, so I would say that's one of my favorites. I also love the one... Well, I love, I love the bookend of this movie. How at the beginning... Uh, relates to the end of the movie and they really wrap it up in a nice little bow for you so I would say the opening and the closing are outstanding the way that they do that I don't want to give that away um, I think those are mine I also like the car scene between um, between Ralph and PL I think that's outstanding when they you find a little bit more of each of their backstory yeah I the only thing I would add um, just because I'm such a, a Disney guy seeing how they were able to go to the actual Disneyland and it's still the Disneyland that Walt, Walt walked around in and just came into the park uh, on a nearly daily basis and just to see what his work had done and how much happiness he was bringing to people that Disneyland scene is great and uh, again Emma Thompson playing that antagonist you really see how much she doesn't dig this like she is not like me <laughs> she she does not necessarily like Disneyland doesn't like the commercialism of it thinks it's all just a scam right um, but Walt is just beaming with excitement even though he's probably walked into that park a million times at that point you know I mean he uh, he seems just as excited as he would have been on the opening day and that's credit to Tom Hanks again, but also it's very cool that they didn't have to change much of the Disneyland in uh, Anaheim. They were able just to film it. You know, they, they put the extras into some period clothing, and they just were able to, to film uh, the Royal Carousel and the marquee entrance into Disneyland. All of it's still there, just the same as it was. Can I talk about another scene that I remembered? Yeah. So, I love the um, Let's Go Fly a Kite scene because PL had been so unwilling to open up and to be happy because she was so reluctant about letting them do this film. And then finally, not to spoil anything, spoiler alert, finally the Sherman brothers come up with Let's Go Fly a Kite. And she just can't contain herself. She loves it so much that she actually gets up and starts dancing with them. And um, they, they see that side of her, finally. It's like a huge breakthrough that 
like Dolly, uh, Walt's assistant, runs in and says, Walt, oh my gosh, she's dancing. And so then Walt runs in to see. And so I think it's just a really neat scene where she finally gets it and she gets what Disney wants to do with her characters and with her film. And that's finally like the, the entryway for everything else is that she finally realizes that this could be something bigger than what she was thinking. Yeah, and uh, there's a lot of different scenes that I touch on. Um, I mentioned Paul Giamatti's uh, performance as Ralph, the chauffeur. Um, you find out, kind of in the, I would almost say it's near the climax of the movie. I think uh -huh. the climax of the movie is probably Walt traveling back to London to, to get P.L. Travers to come back. But Ralph um, sees uh, P.L., hanging out in the Walt Disney lot, um, kind of messing with some, uh, some clovers. And he walks over and mentions that his daughter is special needs and that the amount of pure joy that uh, the fact that Walt Disney is making it possible for her to still achieve and to dream and um, that's why he loves working for this company and loves working for this man because he is having such a profound impact on people like his daughter that they can achieve whatever they want. Um, and that scene is played so well by the both of them. Uh, I love that scene. I agree. And like that's too kind of when he opens up about, you know, every time he says, well, I hope you have a great day, ma'am. Let's hope it's sunny and not rainy. And then Mrs. Travers will say, well, why does it always have to be sunny and happy? And that's when he opens up, well, he likes the sunny days because that means that his daughter gets to go outside and enjoy the day. And that's just heartbreaking and, again, allows you to see that other side of everyone's story that maybe there is a reason why he enjoys having sunny days. So I really think it's really neat and I love them. I love them together. Yeah. Um, anything that didn't work in this film for you? That's a great question. I don't, I don't know. Is there something you had in mind? You know, you? it's hard. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we're, we're like gushing all over this movie. It probably has like a five point something on IMDb. I don't know. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I just love the story and getting some of the background. I guess you would say that because it's made by the Disney company, uh -huh. that they really can't uh, give an accurate portrayal of... Um, the, the story? No, but you know, I think you... it's helpful because they have actually a lot of real recordings because Mrs. Travers wanted everything recorded. Um, so, I mean, they have... They the play real, that in the they credits. They play in the credits, yeah. but it's like the, the real actual recordings and you can listen to those. Um, so I think a lot of what happens is probably more accurate than some things. I'm sure it's, you know, movieified, but... Right, and they brought Richard Sherman in because he was uh, there at the time. He right. was in the, the room. And um, so he was able to kind of corroborate what, what was going on. But I think that maybe the fact that this was produced by Walt Disney, that's probably why it got really shut out at the Oscars. Um, because you doing a biopic on essentially your founder, um, you know, at yeah, some level. I'm sure, I'm sure that there's some rose-tinted glasses there. Um, but... <laughs> At the same time, it's it's still a cool story to see. Well, it is, and it's such a good. Uh, they just do a really good job of 
of sharing the backstory, but also making everybody so relatable. Um, it's just one of those films that has you all over the gamut as far as touching moments and funny moments and suspenseful moments. It's just a really good film. So I think in terms of like what didn't work for me, going back to that question, I think that a lot of the suspense was too drawn out. Of course, we know that Mary Poppins is a film that was created, and so I think a lot of the points were kind of hit over the head with. We kind of knew it wasn't going that well, and we kind of kept going back to that point. So I think for me, some of that stuff was a little bit too drawn out. That would be my one complaint. So maybe cut out like 10, 15 minutes of the movie? Yeah, I think so. Or just go about explaining that part a different way. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, is there anything else that you want to talk about with this movie before we wrap it up? I think it's a film that I would recommend for everyone. It's Yeah, not even just a Disney fan. No, I mean, Obviously, I mean, exactly. we love it because we're Disney fans, but um, I, I think you should check it out because it's a cool story and it's a cool piece of cinematic history. You get to, to look behind the curtain a little bit to see how this all happened. I would say it's not for little ones. Um, there are some pretty... Uh, heavy, heavy scenes as far as adult content, not in like a discretional way, but just in a way that might be kind of hard to explain what's going on to some kids, um, that adults may need to understand and make over their heads too, just kind of what, um, what Travers is going through, Mr. Travers, um, I think it's kind of hard to explain for some people if you don't understand, but I think it's a good film, absolutely for everybody. I do too. Well, thanks for uh, hanging out with our spotlight talk on uh, saving Mr. Banks. And now it's time to prop your feet up because we'll be right back to talk about Beauty and the Beast. Once upon a time, in a faraway land, a young prince lived in a shining castle. So this film came out in 1991, uh, coming off of the success of the widely popular Little Mermaid. The Walt Disney Animated Studios was really starting to hit their stride, and this really became the first musical movie. I mean, Little Mermaid had songs in it, to be sure, and so did so many of the other classic Disney films. But this opened with a six-minute musical number. Of course, we're talking about Beauty and the Beast. We're celebrating its 25th anniversary. Um, it just came out of the Disney vault where you can go purchase the Blu-ray again. And so we recommend that you do that if you haven't already. We have like nine versions of it, so we don't need to get it again. But I do want a disclaimer on this movie in particular. Uh, it's widely popular amongst the front row viewers. It's actually one of Jeremy's favorite movies of all time. Uh, Sarah loves it. Anna and I love it. Allison loves it. So we will be discussing this movie more in length in more of like a flashback or maybe even a classic setting uh, when we get closer to the live action release in March. So this is just our classic re rewind. This segment, we're just going to do a a really brief overview about the movie and make sure you join us in early 2017 when we can really get into the, the meat of this movie and discuss it um, in detail. Exactly. So, Anna, 
opening impressions. What do you, what's, what was like the first time that you got to watch Beauty and the Beast? What, what was the situation? It was probably one of the first movies you saw maybe in theaters, right? I think it was. I have a hard time remembering it. Um, as far as in theater goes, obviously. I'm pretty sure it was one of the first ones I saw in theater. Um, if not, definitely on VHS tape. I know I owned it. Wore it out for sure at home. Um, saw it on Disney on Ice. Back in the good old QC. West Virginia! Whoa, we're in West Virginia! Sorry. Take me home. <laughs> Sorry, we're in West Virginia. Um, anyway. I, I don't really remember. For me, Beating the Beast is one of those that's always been there. I, I couldn't tell you a time before. What I do feel is like I remember the um, excitement of it coming out much like Frozen is. It was very similar where it was just everywhere. And the song was everywhere and it was on the radio. And it was, I remember it being huge. Yeah. Um, you could you could hear Beauty and the Beast that like, they did that like night, early 90s, yeah, late did. 80s remix of it. Celine Dion, I think. Uh, yeah, and who, was it, uh, was it Lionel Richie? No, I think it was R. Kelly. Ah, I am pretty we, sure. I'll look it up. We gotta look that up. Maybe someone, someone's like yelling it at their, uh, phone right now. <laughs> um, Jeremy, I see you. Uh, you're yelling it at your phone right now while you're listening, but, uh, love this movie because Alan Menken did such an amazing job with uh, putting together this score of this movie that it really is timeless. I mean, this uh, you can do things like a Broadway-style musical. It was the first Disney show they brought to Broadway because of this amazing score. And that, to me, is one of the, the most interesting parts about this film because it allowed for things like The Lion King to come after it and to be so driven by the music of the movie. Um, and on top of that, the animation at the time was just absolutely incredible. Exactly. I love this film. I love the animation of the chandelier when it sweeps over. I mean, there's just so many different good things we can talk about. Yeah, and it's, it's hard to narrow it down for like a, a small segment, but why don't we just discuss maybe just some favorite moments uh, in the in the movie and then um, we'll kind of leave it at that for this particular discussion. I think one of the scenes that sticks with me the most is when she walks into the library that the Beast has built for her and you just see books as high as you can see and I think that that always stuck with me and I always wanted one of those roller ladders I thought, why can't I have a roller ladder in my yeah. house? That looks so much fun. So I, that scene always sticks with me. Yeah. Um, my favorite scene by far is Gaston because I'm kind of a LeFou lover. Uh, I think LeFou doesn't get nearly as much credit. He's like the Mr. Smee of this, uh, of this particular movie. And uh, it's, it's great. I, I do enjoy it. Um, you get to see a lot of the character. But then also... That, I mean, being in this musical, that's an awfully hard song to sing. Mm -hmm. And uh, just even the chorus work in that move, in that um, particular number was great. It, it was just so much fun in the middle of the movie. It broke up some of the, um, you know, more almost scary scenes for little kids, seeing the beast and, uh, and all that. So I absolutely loved that. Exactly. I think, um, 
I mean, can we, we gotta talk about Taylor's Oldest Time. Yeah. That is beautiful. I love that scene with the ballroom and it's just really, really well done. So if all of you haven't uh, seen it yet, um, there is a video online and I was actually gonna ask Jeremy to, to put it into the end of this uh, episode. So if you haven't heard it yet, you can stick around uh, for the end of this show and we're just gonna play you the entire clip. I don't know if that's legal or not, but we're gonna do it. It's Alan Macon on the piano and it's Angela Lansbury singing uh, the title track, Beauty and the Beast. She's 93 years old and just absolutely sounds like she did 25 years ago. It's incredible. It is. Isn't she 91? I thought uh, Brandon's message me said she was 93. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. But uh, she's 90 years old. She's in yeah. her 90s. Um, just sounds uh, impeccable. It sounds part. like the day she recorded it. I mean, it was so good. So well done. Um, makes my little five-year-old self cry. It's beautiful. Now, uh, I know we've got a lot more scenes we could talk about, but there is a bit of, uh, not controversy with this movie, but a lot of people will say that it's just a prime example of Stockholm Syndrome, that uh, Belle is really just captured by this beast and only finds out to love him um, after months of captivity. Uh, what what do you think about that? Well, I would agree with that. Like, <laughs> you would agree not with to it. mention, like, ostracizing somebody in the community. They do that, too. They do. They make fun of each other. And, you know, Belle's supposed to marry Gaston, who's this big, burly man, and she's supposed to, and good for her. She says no. Yeah. Um, I definitely see that in this film. Also, there's some kind of intricacies that don't make sense, like the fact that the Beast was had this spell put on him when he was... 11? Like, who puts a yeah, spell on an 11-year-old? Like, he had to be like 11 or 12 years old. And you know, like, if he... Which is, you know... He's a terrible person, this. so he gets an 11-year-old yeah. to yeah. a spell. So some of that stuff doesn't really make sense to me, but I go with it, because I like the film. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, Pedro I mean, Hera as Belle uh, does such a great job in the role that, um, I don't know, it, it seems a lot more genuine than, like, your standard case of Stockholm Syndrome, so I, I don't know if I agree with that necessarily. Um, I do get that it's kind of weird that she's falling in love with a beast, but he's a man, right? I guess, well, so, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, the, I think the point there is that she sees the, beauty the man behind the right. mask, if you will, um, kind of a little bit along the lines of Phantom, but, you know, I just think that she she sees who he really is. is supposed to be the point of the film. Yeah, and that, uh, that last transformation scene is uh, very cool how they were able to direct that mm -hmm. in the animated film, um, just to be able to see all of the different items come back to life. Uh, we're going to talk about it more and more and more as we get closer to it, and we already have hinted at it, but how excited are you? Uh, we've now seen our first images of Cogsworth and Lumiere. We talked a little bit about it last episode, but how excited are you for the March release with uh, Emma Watson playing Belle in a live action I'm super film? excited to see that film. Um, I actually really like Beauty and the Beast on Broadway as a musical. I think it lends itself extremely well to a musical, probably one of the best, and I love it like that, so I think that this film will play much the same, just one of the like recordings of the musical version I see it as. Um, I will say that I'm used to seeing like Cogsworth and Lumiere now portrayed by men with costumes on that resemble those items. They're more human, less item, 
less object, and in this film they're more object and less human, which makes sense in the in the case of the film. It just looks a little odd to me because I'm so used to seeing it the other way. Yeah, they look I, a little scary. I wish instead of just releasing some still images of them, that they would have released a clip of uh -huh. like them acting, like whatever it would be. But then at least we could have seen some kind of humanity behind these kind of creepy looking objects. Right. Um, so I do wish that Disney would have done that. But uh, I am still extremely excited for this. I think that Jungle Book was fantastic. I love Cinderella. So this live action thing has been working for Disney. And uh, I mentioned I'm a LeFou guy. Josh Gad is LeFou is going to be hilarious and incredible. Um, those of you that don't know, Josh Gad uh, kind of cut his teeth in Book of Mormon. Uh, and then, of course, he played Olaf in Frozen. So he's going to be a fantastic LeFou, and I, I can't wait to see it. Anything else you want to mention uh, as we're celebrating the 25th anniversary? Again, we'll talk a lot more in detail about this movie coming up with a, a much bigger group of people, but we wanted to at least address the fact that uh, it is the 25th anniversary, and you can go out and pick up the the Blu-ray, DVD, wherever uh, all those are sold. Exactly, yeah. I think that there's a ton to talk about on this topic, um, so I'm excited that we're going to be going into more detail later. I think that this is definitely one of Disney's, I'll dare to say it, one of Disney's best movies that they've ever made. Yeah. Um, it's, I would say it's one of their best ever. So um, I'm glad that it's there for 25 years and hopefully 225 more. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Well, thanks for uh, coming along on this little road trip with us. I think that we're going to try to record a couple of these, so, um, you know, maybe you'll get to, to hear more of us talking in the car as you're hearing the hum of the engine uh, behind it. But uh, we've, we've made it through Ohio. We're into West Virginia, on to uh, not West Virginia. And I didn't yell at Craig for his driving, so... No, and uh, you That's know there was good. there was a questionable semi truck about halfway through. I know that uh, that semi truck that was just doing like 35 on the interstate. That was really cool. It was cool. Yeah, That's absolutely. Yeah. So, a couple of shout outs uh, to some other Disney fans. Uh, one to Keith Carver. He just posted on my timeline yesterday that Lowe's is now selling some Disney um, holiday lights. Uh -huh. So. That's awesome, and thank you for alerting me to that fact, Keith, and thank you for listening to the podcast. Uh, absolutely love it, and continue to, to share those news items with us. Uh, continue to make me aware of the fact that I need to go spend money at Lowe's to buy some holiday lights. And then um, to our cast member, listener, and friend uh, from DAC itself, from Disney's Animal Kingdom, Mr. Kelly Trier. Uh, he has been live streaming and posting some videos of his trip out at Disneyland right now. So keep those coming, man. I, it's awesome to be able to see them and to be able to uh, kind of feel like you're living and able to go to Disneyland and see all the things that you're able to see. So very cool to check out those videos. And thanks for sending them our way and tagging me in some posts. And I really enjoyed all of that. Got anything else to say? No, I think that's it. All right. How many hours do we have left in this car? Uh, got so many oh, hours. Four hours and 26 minutes. So many hours. Yay. Uh, this is, we are eight hours into this, and, um, 
you know, keep your thoughts and prayers with Anna <laughs> as uh, she has to deal with me for another four and a half hours. But thank you so much for listening to us and to all the Front Row properties. You, of course, can find us at thefrontrowmoviereviews.com. You can find us on Facebook and on Instagram at the Front Row Movie Reviews. You can find us on Twitter, Front Row Reviews with a Z. And you can always submit questions or maybe you want to have a pick of the next classic rewind animated film or live action Disney film that we talk about on Beyond the Mouse. So you can always send that to thefrontrowmoviereviews at gmail.com. But thanks again for being with us. And with that, I am Craig McFarland. I'm Anna McFarland. And we'll see you real soon in the front row. Both a little scared, neither one prepared, beauty and the beast. Ever just the same Ever a surprise Ever as before Ever just as sure As the sun will rise Taylor's old as time Tune as old as song Bittersweet and strange Finding you can change Learning you were wrong Certain as the sun Rising in the east Tale as old as time Song as old as rhyme Beauty and the beast As old as time, song as old as rhyme, beauty and